in advance, I'll give you a warning. I'm not going to be able to greet you when we're done because I have a wedding to go to. You might be wondering why I'm in a, in a suit. It's because I figure if you can't be smart, look smart. <laughs> but I do have a wedding to go to. My son's getting married this afternoon and I will have to bolt. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Our first child getting married, so we'll see how we adapt to that. We are going through a message series, Authentic Living Today. And today we land in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, and then we go all the way to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Not very many verses, but we are transitioning. One tell you this up front, whosoever you are matters far more than whoever you are. Jumping right into our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The very beginning, Silvanus, by Silvanus. The letter is being delivered by Silvanus. And in Peter's mind, this gives credibility. He is inspired by God to have this in Scripture, who is Silvanus? Well, I'll tell you. It's the same person as Silas that we find in Acts chapter 16. Now, in Acts chapter 16, you might remember this story. In fact, this, this is on the heels of Lydia. We discover Lydia, which is a really cool player in the New Testament. But just before that, we have Paul and Silas, or at least, are the two key players in an event that is disturbing to the people that are outside of Christ. Because there is a woman there who has an ability to perform divination. She is telling people's fortunes. Y'all remember that story? And because this was done by evil, Paul and Silas were party to casting the demon out of her, which she was glad to have that demon cast out, but she no longer could tell people's fortunes. This happened to be a slave, and her slave owners made a lot of money on her in her demon possession, her divination, telling people's fortunes. I want to give you an idea of what that looks like today because it's, it's kind of a, a unique thing I have here in my hands. Today's. This is from today's Chicago Tribune. Now, I want to give it any, of, any group participation that we have here. I just want to say up front, just indulge me for a moment. Just go along. I'm, I'm going to take you to a good place. Don't worry, those of you who already know we're not supposed to do this. <laughs> I have a, there's a reason. I want to show you something. So this, is, this says the daily horoscope for June 13, 2021. I know, I know. 
I just lost some of you because you're like, hey, we're not supposed to. I know, stay with me. I'm not going to justify it. I just want to want you to play along. This is for today. All right. So don't show hands or anything, but I want to read to you, just think about it, if you happen to be some, someone labeled Aries, listen to this, finances are highlighted for you now. I, if you're Aries, I want you to think, even if you don't believe in horoscopes, I want you to think, might that actually fit? Finances are highlighted for you now, and you may find that you don't have the funds to get you where you wanted to go. Others may have put unrealistic expectations in your mind, and under their guidance, you've ended up somewhere completely different from where they said you were going. Instead of giving in to resentment, turn things around and rewrite the plan. Don't let the soothing words of others trick you (laughs) into being unprepared for the challenges between you and the level of success you desire. Okay? Now, if you happen to be Taurus, even if you don't believe in horoscopes, stay with me. I'm not going to do heresy. Trust me. So, so if you are Taurus, listen to this and see, might this fit? See, let me give you a heads up. So let's just say there is a demon-possessed person up here who's given you this and to see, how, could it be convincing? So if you're Taurus, might this fit? You may be longing for happier days, especially when it comes to your relationships and emotional effort, but this could end up falling flat today. Even if you've put a lot of work into helping someone you care about, your efforts might be getting you both nowhere. While you've been putting in your your half of the work, ask yourself, have they been doing the same? If you're noticing that they have no desire to meet you halfway, it may be time to put your energy elsewhere. If you happen to be Gemini, labeled a Gemini, see if this fits. Misunderstandings could prevent your progress now, so make sure that you and the other people in your life are on the same page. You may be holding a grudge against someone for something they did by accident or vice versa, and this confusion is creating animosity. It surely won't help you to run away from the problem. Clearing the air is better for everyone. Face your challenges now so that they won't pop up again later on. Okay? If you happen to be cancer, stay with me. If you happen to be cancer, see if this fits. See if you could be deceived into thinking this might fit. You could be your own worst enemy today. So make sure that you're not getting in your own way. Confusion regarding your career is likely, and you could miss something important if you don't set some alarms and reminders. You may also be feeling irritable. So remember to take a few deep breaths before you go off on someone for something small. Be better prepared. You are to combat mishaps with a Zen attitude, and more likely you are to succeed. Okay, so if you happen to be... Uh, Gemini, misunderstanding could prevent your progress now. So make sure that you and the other people in your life are on the same page. You may be holding a grudge against someone. Did I already do this? All right. You, you learned my trick. So let's just, let's, we'll stop. What I was doing, I was reading the wrong one. 
for you. So if you heard your particular horoscope and you thought, okay, I don't believe in horoscopes, but man, that is so close. Guess what? I read the wrong one for you. I mixed them up. That's what I did. I, I was reading the wrong one for the wrong label. And you can do that every time you see a horoscope. And then people will go, oh man, that's, that's it. That's got me, right? That pinpointed me. Oh, I'm sorry, I read you the wrong one. Because horoscopes are a tool of the devil. We shouldn't even be looking at them. I just did that to show you that. that this, I can play tricks on you. I can read someone else's horoscope and you think that fits you perfectly. You can read anyone else's horoscope and think, oh, that fits me perfectly. They're written that way. Because all throughout the Chicago Tribune and all these others, there's little ads. You can like pay and join this or... There's even a tarot card thing you can get on here. Somebody burn this afterwards if I don't take it with me. I just wanted to show you that the devil is very sneaky. He's so good. And he uses people with, their, uh, with his deceitfulness. He uses people to make people think that he's got these great powers or that the people have these great powers. Divination is divination. Trying to predict the future. There's Christians that do this, by the way. Trying to predict the future, trying to tell someone's fortune, that, that's all bad stuff. And this lady was doing this, and, and what happened in the story in Acts 16 is when the demon was cast out, the people couldn't make money on her anymore, and so they decided to find out who are those people that took her gift away. <laughs> well, it was Paul and Silas who, by the power of Christ, casted out the demon, and so they beat them publicly, put them in jail. And while they were in jail that night, you remember Paul and Silas were singing praises to the Lord. They were chained, they were shackled, and they're singing praises to the Lord in a very... They just got publicly beaten for not doing anything wrong. And they just got incarcerated, put in jail, shackled, and they're singing praises to God. You remember this? And... And then the people in there were marveling that they were doing this. These Christians were behaving like Christians, and it just blew people away. And remember, there was a, a miracle that happened, and they could have escaped. In fact, the guard thought that they escaped, and he was going to commit suicide because he would have been beaten. He would have been publicly beaten and tortured before he was killed. So he just was going to go ahead and commit suicide. And they stopped him. Don't, don't. We're here. And they converted that jailer because of their attitude. They were Christians in front of him, so he converted to Christianity. That's the way it works. And he was just, you know, they were just going to let him go. And then Paul and Silas were like, no, 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 no. We're Roman citizens. You have publicly beaten us and incarcerated us. And that scared the officials. Oh, that's what happens when Christians stand up Sometimes it works in our favor. Paul and Silas are a perfect example of that. They stood up and they were counted as solid Christians. And it's a wonderful story. You should read it. But this is Silas that Peter is saying, you're getting these letters. You're getting this letter from Silas. And that matters. This man is a respected comrade of Paul. He has 
put in his time. He is proven. He is a solid Christian man. He has wonderful stories. And when people see him coming, they want to hear his stories. They want to be around him because he is a time-tested Christian. This validates the inspired letter of Peter. So he writes that. A faithful brother as I regard him. So not only did Paul regard him as a faithful brother, not only do the recipients, but Peter gives his stamp of approval as well. Silas, he's real. I have written briefly to you. And it's a short letter, so that's, that's accurate. Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, which is huge. It's, it's amazing. I heard a comedian describe the grace of God. The grace of God is kind of like peanut butter in the hands of a toddler. It just gets everywhere, all over the place. That's the grace of God. It's huge, and it's everywhere, all over the place. Stand firm in it. You're supposed to stand firm in the grace of God. Know that God, as long as you stay close to Him, He's got it, whatever it is. She who is at Babylon. Now, there's a lot of commentary on this, and it's, it's definitely uh, varied. Most of the people that read this think, well, he's got to be talking about Rome. Could be, but he could have said it. Could have said Rome. Babylon was not really a, a city at the time. I mean, it was huge. It had two times in history where it was a, a huge city. If you don't know where it is, it's, uh, it's a little bit less than an hour south of Baghdad. But at the time, it's really not anything. So it could be Rome. I don't know exactly what Peter is referring to as the location, because I couldn't find anything either biblically or extra-biblically that identified exactly what Babylon is. Maybe it's Rome. But the idea, she who is at Babylon, well, that's an interesting thing, because it quite possibly could be referring to his own spouse. <laughs> um, we find when you read different, I don't know, did you know Peter had a mother-in-law? You know that? Yeah, I mean, think about it. Who wants a mother-in-law without the bride? I mean, really. But we also have mention in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, where Paul is arguing and he brings up as part of his argument, he says, can't we bring our wives along? I mean, hey, like, like and he mentions some, and, and like Peter. So he mentions that Peter brings his wife along in his ministry. And most scholars agree he's talking about his own wife here. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Now Mark is a colorful character. I preached a whole sermon series on this that lasted, I think, over a year. And, and I, I called it, that's going to leave a mark, because that's the way Mark lived. Mark lived a very, very colorful life. It is presumed that Mark's gospel was the first book, was the earliest gospel written, possibly the first book written in the entire New Testament. If you'll remember what happened 
with Mark. Let me see if I got a note for you. I think I do. In Acts chapter 14, verses 36 and following, we learn a little bit about um, a, a difficult thing that happened. Paul and Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? He was renamed son of encouragement because he was so encouraging to everybody, especially in his supporting of the cause of the church. He sacrificially sold property and gave it all to the church. And, and they called him son of encouragement for that. And he lived that way. He became this encourager constantly. And, and Paul and Barnabas had a discussion there in Acts chapter 14. Barnabas wanted to take Mark along with them on their next, on their, that leg of the journey. And Paul said, I'm not doing it. Mark left us. When we were, when we were needing him before, he left us. When, and in fact, if you look, he left before some things got a little heavy. And you can read into that that Paul might have been bothered that Mark took off when things got really hard, <clears throat> or just before. Mark was the one, if you'll remember, John Mark is his name. He's the one that ran off when they tried to grab him. They grabbed his clothing and he ran off naked. That's John Mark. And Paul is criticizing him. I don't want to take him. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. He left us when we needed him. Do you know where Mark went? He went down to Jerusalem. And it is presumed that it was at that time that when John Mark left Paul and Barnabas, he went down to Jerusalem and at least began, may have even completed, the Gospel of Mark, the first Gospel written, possibly the first book to be written that was, that's in our New Testament. I think that's important, don't you? But Paul didn't know me. But Paul's upset, and Barnabas said, well, I'll, I'll take him. They got in a heated discussion. It was very heated. They decided to part ways over the whole thing. Barnabas said, I'll take him with me. And God used that division as a very positive thing. Now they're splitting up and doing missionary journeys. They got different teams. Paul took Silas with him, talked about Silas already, and Barnabas took Mark with him. And later what we find, even in the book of Acts, Mark is back with Paul, taking care of him when he's in prison even. And Mark becomes a very trusted, he's earned his trust back with Paul, and, and Paul is loving having him with him. And I suspect, as Paul is being inspired to write his books, and Mark is right there with him, He's probably quite the support, don't you think? Because he was inspired to write the first one, and here's Paul writing some more, and Mark's right there with him. And guess who else is alongside him at times? Luke, the one who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke. Luke more, wrote more words than any other author in the New Testament. Luke and Acts combined, there's more words there than, than any other combined works of any other author, which is amazing. And all three, Paul, Mark, and Luke, work together. Isn't that cool? And no wonder, Peter. Peter says, Mark, my son. Yes, he was, he was Peter's traveling companion for much of the time. And when you read the Gospel of Mark, you should keep that in mind. 
Mark had a unique perspective on Peter because he was Peter's traveling companion for much of his time. So Peter's given us a lot of evidence that his letter is extraordinarily credible, especially the original recipients. They all know these players, and they're hearing these names. And this is giving this particular letter a personal touch. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, that was a common thing. That's the way people greeted each other back then. Uh, it's uh, very similar to what you see some cultures do today where they kind of do an air kiss on each side of each other's cheek. Uh, during the plague, I don't think that's okay. Don't do that. Uh, especially don't do what we think of as a kiss. Don't do that. In, in the middle of a plague, that's probably not okay. I met a, a college-age girl who was just... She had just spent her freshman year at seminary, and she was at a church camp. And they, she came from a culture somewhere in Africa, so warn your kids, <laughs> somewhere in Africa where they uh, greeted each other in a very unique way that's not okay in our culture. She learned it very early on in coming to America. And what they did is they would go up to someone just kind of like shaking hands, and they would pat their rear end. Don't do that. That doesn't work in our culture, and neither does just walking up to somebody and kissing them as a greeting. That's just not something that is acceptable in our culture. But the point is to greet one another, however that loving greeting is, do it, but don't do something that's going to get you slapped. That could get, cause a lot of problems. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. We'll get back to the greet one another a little bit later. Now we transition into 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. At the very beginning, there's a little note. You see it up behind me. It might be in your Bibles as well. The note should read something like this in the footnotes. Some manuscripts say Simon. And that's because there's a variance in the different manuscripts. It's either Simon or Simeon. Doesn't matter. It's still Peter. He follows that with Peter. We know it's the same person. But if you do much research, in modern times, people have been saying that these books have not been written by Peter. Have you heard this? There's a lot of criticism out there. Uh, it typically comes from people who don't like the Bible in the first place, so don't listen to that. Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith. Now pay attention to that, because we live in a world where the televangelists and many other experts are telling us your faith was given to you by God. There is a doctrine that, it's got different terms, but this doctrine is that God picks and chooses who will and won't be saved. Have you heard this? Yeah. And, and so they, they say that your faith, it goes with this, 
your faith isn't really your faith. It's a faith that was given to you by God. God chose that you would be saved. So there you go. That's, it's the doctrine of the, what you hear it called most often is predestination. God has decided who will be saved and who will not be saved. You don't have to go very far in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you'll read that God desires that everyone is saved. So if God desires that everyone is saved, he's not fighting his own will by only picking some who can be. That's only rational. So when you read the Bible, understand, God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Not everyone will, but he wants everyone to, and he allows us to make those choices. We are not forced to become Christians. In fact, this scripture says, to those who have obtained a faith, that means you have reached out and grabbed it. You've decided to have a faith. That is your call. Your decision is to believe in Jesus and live for him or not. That's your call. You're not a robot that God decided, you know what, this morning I'm going to make sure they are in church, the Central Kitsap Christian Church building, they're going to be there, I'm going to force it. No, you made the decision to be here on your own. God didn't force that. He allowed it, but you decided. Remember Ephesians 2.8 when you're thinking about that, it's by grace through faith. This is your part. So to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, and that's a cool statement there. He's an apostle. He's now an elder in the church. He's definitely a proven disciple of Jesus. But if you have a legitimate faith in Christ, you're in equal standing with anyone else who has a legitimate faith in Christ. If you volunteer to change the toilet paper rolls in the church, you are of equal standing as an elder or a pastor or anyone else in the church. If you are a person that simply has acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you serve outside these walls in some capacity, you're in equal standing. I think that's cool that Peter includes that in his greeting here. And he says that it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you might have obtained your faith, but you have that equal standing because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's not confusing. Second, uh, the second verse, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I love that little ending of his greeting because look at what he's doing. Here is Peter, who is hoping for the best in all of us. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And look how it's multiplied in the knowledge of God and of, the, of Jesus our Lord. So it behooves us to learn more and more, as much as we can about Jesus. And then grace and peace could be multiplied to us. And Peter is wishing that upon his readers, the original recipients, and on us as he introduces Second Peter. Seven things I want to highlight that we can get from our text today. Authentic living today, that personal touch. First, demonstrate whosoever you are. It was quite effective as we read through the different parts in the New Testament so far, and as you've read on your own, that Christians, being Christians in front of other people, 
has an impact on those other people. We talked about Paul and Silas when they were in a very difficult situation and they were living out their Christianity and it had an impact on others. So demonstrate whosoever you are, wherever you are. Second, validate others' authenticity. Like Peter, they have equal standing among us. And then he talked about Silas, who I regard as genuine. Validate others' authenticity. One of those things, if you go through leadership classes on a regular basis, you're going to learn great leaders always presume the best in others until proven otherwise. Always presume the best in others. Have you ever worked for a supervisor who always presumes the worst? That's the most miserable supervisor to work for. They're always thinking you've got some ulterior motive or you... You, you somehow cut corners or whatever. There's a difference in working with a supervisor that presumes the best in their employees. It, it seems to motivate the employees to perform better because somebody believes in them. And that's what Peter demonstrated as he does a closing greeting and a beginning greeting. Third, Stand firm in his grace. I got to watch a man crumble, not standing firm in his grace. This man was torn up so badly, and he felt like Jesus was no longer with him, at least in particular moments. I had taught, I had preached a message in Matthew 18 about, almost seven months ago. And it was about confronting, and I, I think I spoke on that here as well. And as I preached on this, this man who was crushed no longer felt crushed because he opened up his Bible and he couldn't stop reading it over and over and over again. He had always been taught, hey, we're two or more gathered, we can have church. We're two or more gathered, Jesus is here. And I preached a message talking about confrontation, and I pointed out that people have taken that verse, yanked it out of context, and they're basically saying, we're two or more gathered, we could have church. That's not what it's about. It's about confrontation. And what happens to someone's mind when they are put in a situation where they are all alone for an extended period of time with no other Christians around them, and they're trying to stand up for their Lord, they feel like if they've been convinced that where two or more gather, Jesus is with you, you have to have two or more in order to have Jesus with you, they feel alone because they're just by themselves. And they were taught you've got to have two or more for Jesus to be with you. And this man, uh, I didn't know this happened until just recently, said that he felt crushed, he felt alone, he felt isolated, and he felt abandoned. And he learned from looking in the Bible himself, it doesn't say that. Jesus will not abandon you. Stand firm in his grace. Fourth, go beyond the surface with others. It's so easy to just stop it at the surface. How you doing? I'm good. You? I'm good. And we leave it there. That's, how we, that's what we say. Sometimes what's in our head is, I'm not going to say how I'm doing. They seem happy. If I tell them how I'm doing, they're going to take them down. 
take them down with me into my sad world. I'm not going to say I'm not doing well. It's not what's expected. I'm supposed to say good. Here's some ways you can try to get beyond the surface when you're talking to somebody. How are you doing? I'm good. Really? What do you mean, really? Well, I, I, I want to know how you're doing. That's why I asked. Other ways you can do that is you can stay close to people. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It really does. If you get beyond that surface conversation, it's going to require more of you. But people around you need you. There's people around you that don't have somebody to unload on. Somebody that would actually genuinely pray for them and more. That actually would go out of their way to say, let me see if I can help. There's too many times as a preacher that I have seen where somebody I've been working on for a long time finally shows up to church, and I'm so excited about it. And the, the people I know that they could have connected with decided to stay in bed that morning and not be there. Because sometimes what we do, and I'm preaching to the choir, you didn't do that, you're here, so there you go. But if you happen to be one, I'm talking to other people right now, if you happen to be one who listens to this later online, I'm probably talking straight to you. But anyway, when you, when you do that, you're thinking, I don't, feel like, I don't feel like being there, I just don't feel it. You know what? Church isn't about you. It's about God. We come here to worship and honor God. And when you attend a church service, one of the biggest reasons you ought to be coming here is to bless other people because that blesses God. There's no better way to worship God than to bless Him. And sometimes the best reason to attend a church service is to be available for somebody else who needs you. Christianity isn't all about you. It includes others. You can't do the one another passages by yourself. So go beyond the surface with others. Fifth, greet others genuinely. There was a, after I had my reconstructive surgery the first time with my, on my ankle, I limped very badly. And one of the things I learned with that limp is it irritates little dogs, particularly chihuahuas. And I didn't like it. I didn't like to go visit other people and feel like, oh, that dog senses evil in that man. It's because I was limping. So I, had, I worked so hard just walking back and forth in my own living room trying to make sure I'm not limping. Even though it hurt, I'm like adjusting, adjust, adjust, get used to it. And, uh, and I got past the limping thing. But... And sometimes, just so you're aware, if you haven't figured this out, some people just have obnoxious dogs. They just yelp at everything. So it's not you. But there are times when animals can tell that something's bothering someone or the person is a threat. Sometimes babies can tell. When mom is stressed, when dad is stressed, Sometimes just anybody in the family. Sometimes you just put it off so big everybody can tell you're stressed. When you greet people, they can tell typically whether it's genuine or not. So be real. 
When you greet somebody, do it with purpose. Do it because you want to bless God by blessing them. Do it with a, an attitude of trying to better other people. No matter what you're going through, God needs you to reach out to others. If you're one who's here this morning who is going through a lot of your own junk, it's like so heavy, it's very hard to carry. If you're one that's like that this morning, let me give you something that could be therapeutic for you. And that is, stop focusing on your own problems. And for a moment, they're real. I'm not trying to take that away. Just park them over here when you, when you can. Park them for a minute to check on the people around you. Wouldn't you like that if somebody did that? If you've got a big load you're trying to carry, wouldn't you like it if somebody else would put their problems aside long enough to notice you have problems? Well, then be that person that does that for other people. And people, if we can become a church where we're all doing this, can you imagine how God would be blessed? Can you imagine how the community would be blessed? It's called love, is what that is. Having compassion on others around us. So greet others genuinely. Six, understand your faith is obtained by you, but granted by Christ. <laughs> Our faith means nothing without the cross, so every, any good thing that we have comes from the Father. We already know this from Scripture. But we have to take that step of choosing to believe and live for our Lord. Seven, and the last thing, speak encouragement into others. And the way you do that, encouragement is not flattery. Nice suit, preacher. That's, okay. That's a nice thing to say. But encouragement that God's talking about when he's demonstrating it through Peter, and he's telling us to encourage one another more, uh, one another all the more, as you see the day approaching. He's talking about building each other up in the faith. That's what he's talking about. Do you see people here that you see Jesus in? You, you see them as they speak. It's like, ah, they're doing it the way Jesus would be pleased. You see them serving Jesus in such a way that you know it pleases the Lord, and you see Jesus in them. Tell them. That feels a whole lot better than saying, ah, oh, beautiful shoes. Encouragement. What he means by that in Scripture is to build one another up. Just like Peter is doing. Here he wrote this letter, and think about it. First Peter is all about suffer. Suffer, but have hope while you suffer because God will take care of you. He encourages us as we're suffering. Not once did Peter say anything about, I'm sorry, you're hurting. Not once did he say, it's too bad you're going through that. Not once did he say, this is all bad, bad, bad. He just said, suffer and have hope. And then he launches into the second letter, and that's the, there were time years apart, you know. But he launches into the second letter with encouraging greetings to us. I hope you can feel it as God speaks to us through his word. He wants us to be okay. And the way we do that is interact with each other to make sure each other are okay. It's going to be fun going through Second Peter. I'm going to enjoy the journey with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us 
You, you showed us on the cross. And every time we open up your word and, and read it, you encourage us to do better and you pull us closer to you. Thank you for that, Lord. And you've given us a blessing today as we worshiped you together and we've, we've communed with you and you've pulled us closer in that moment as well. God, I ask that you continue to pull us closer together, continue to show us how to encourage each other and Lord, may you be blessed by it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.